Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Sound on with Kevin Cirilli. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. T-G-I-F. It's Friday. We made it to Friday. Congratulations. But we still have a lot of news to get through before we formally kick off the weekend. All things Iran U.S. policy, in particular how President Trump says he backed off a decision to retaliate against the Iranians. Why? Why he made that call? And what's ahead? What's ahead in the next couple of days? We've been following this virtually every day now as the situation over in Tehran continues to escalate. What does it mean for the U.S. standing in the world? We are now just less than one week out from the first Democratic presidential debate down in Miami. I'm packing my bags this weekend. I'm headed to Miami There's like 20 million people running for president. We're going to try to make sense of it. We'll have a full preview on that account. I'll tell you what some DNC staffers were telling me earlier today. And the budget battle, the looming budget battle. What does that mean for the policy implications of this administration as they try to get to some type of trade deal? All-star panel, friends of the program, friends of mine, Shannon Pettypiece, Bloomberg News White House reporter, Jack Fitzpatrick, BGov All-Star Bloomberg government congressional reporter, Al Weaver, national political reporter for The Hill. Bob Kuzak's neck of the woods. Before we get to all of that, though, happy, happy Friday. Let's kick things off with the U.S.-Iran tensions. And here to walk us through all of it, Al Weaver, national political reporter at The Hill, Jack Fitzpatrick, Bloomberg government congressional reporter, and Shannon Pettypiece, Bloomberg News White House reporter. All right, Shannon, let me start with you. So we get these comments within the last 24 hours following Tehran's taking down of a U.S. drone flying in international waters. Tehran shoots down this drone. President Trump wasn't too happy about it. And then he suggests that if it was a manned or a piloted aircraft, that that it would warrant some type of military response. Then we find out that he says essentially 10 minutes, 10 minutes before the U.S. military was fully prepared, fully prepared 
to launch a retaliatory attack against Tehran, he pulled the plug. He pulled the plug, decided not to pull the trigger. Why? Because he said it was disproportionate. He, according to his Twitter account, said that 150 people, 150 people would have lost their lives. So President Trump decided against it. What's the backstory? What are you hearing at the White House? What's the White House saying publicly, privately? Shannon, tell us about your reporting. Well, this dominated the conversation in the White House for much of yesterday. Uh, There were a lot of strategies presented, a lot of back and forth, a lot of different advice that the president was getting from all his various advisors, um, you know, the official uh, military advisors and sort of the unofficial kitchen cabinet uh, type folks that he reaches out to. Uh, It was a decision that some people uh, thought this strike was going to go through up until kind of late tomorrow night. Um, I believe we talked to one person who said they woke up this morning and was surprised to see that it hadn't happened. So even late until uh, the evening, uh, there were people in the administration who still thought that this was going to go through. Uh, It obviously didn't. And I think leaves the president in an interesting position where he has one of these moments where he can look like the commander in chief. He can look like someone who is tough in Iran, who was ready to pull the trigger, uh, but then someone who can look measured and reasonable because he says then he came back from the brink here and decided to stand down. Uh, so for people who think he's someone who can't be trusted with the nuclear codes, uh, it kind of shows that he is someone who has moderation, who is being thoughtful about these things, um, but it also shows him looking very strong on Iran. And in saying. terms of the policy argument here, the White House has obviously withdrawn from the Iran nuclear disarmament deal uh, now more than a year ago, I believe. Uh, And they've issued crippling, crippling sanctions against Tehran. Their strategy, they argue that by putting these crippling sanctions against Tehran, that they would isolate Iran from the international community, from their ability to do business with other countries, and therefore would try to get them to the drawing board or to the negotiation table with the international community, i.e. the United Nations, to try to limit their nuclear ambitions. Critics of that policy, Democrats included, say that 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 those sanctions have only uh, really just rattled them. And that is part of the reason why they've tried to lash out and the the sinking of the two ships or the the mining of the two ships last week and then uh, shooting down that that unmanned drone. So the administration says, well, this latest brash of actions coming out of Tehran is, is an example of them kind of on their last leg. Critics, Democrats say, well, they're acting up and they still haven't. So it really is that that, that's the lay of the land. Uh, Jack, I want to play for you what President Trump tells NBC's Meet the Press, Chuck Todd, in an interview set to air on Sunday. He's describing the scene that Shannon just accounted for. Here's the president of the United States. They came and they said, sir, we're ready to go. We'd like a decision. I said, I want to know something before you go. How many people will be killed? In this case, Iranians. Mm -hmm. I said, how many people are going to be killed? Uh, Sir, I'd like to get back to that. Great people, these generals. They said, uh, came back, said approximately 150. So there you have it, Jack. What are folks up on Capitol Hill saying about the situation regarding Iran? So I think the Pelosi clip we heard earlier kind of sums up the sense of relief that he didn't go through with it. There is uh, some concern based on that description, though, that according to Trump's version of events, he didn't know until 
almost the last minute uh, exactly how much collateral damage would occur, how much loss of life would occur, uh, and this was not conveyed to him until, uh, as we heard, about 10 minutes before it happened. So really, I think this is going to start a broader debate over congressional limits on his power. I think it's notable that when the House passed a defense appropriations bill earlier this week, it included a measure that would repeal the authorization for use of military force. That's the first time that the House has passed a repeal of that since it went into place in 2001. Uh, I I don't know exactly where this goes over the next few months as lawmakers kind of uh, consider how much to uh, try to constrain last-minute decisions and gut decisions and kind of shooting from the hip from the president. But I I think that's going to be a a really significant concern going forward. Jack Fitzpatrick, Bloomberg government all-star congressional reporter. We're going to talk more about those budget caps coming up later on in the program. Weaver, national political reporter at The Hill. What about the divide right now amongst Republicans and Democrats and and really this public sort of figuring out where politicians stand in Congress about the situation in Iran? What are you hearing? Well, I think there's two main things here. Obviously, you have Democrats and they still they don't trust the president anything, especially in foreign policy. I mean, you hear what Pelosi had to say today. they, they simply don't trust them at this point. And you have a lot of Republicans who – it really this whole this really exhibits a divide in Republicanism going back the last decade, last couple of decades. And so you have a lot of Republicans in the past who are you know, hawks. They want to save a rat a little bit more. And now you have Trump who comes in and he's a bit of a – I don't want to say moderating voice, but he's a more of a he's, – he's not as much of a war hawk. He's not trying to push that as much as a lot of Republicans. I mean, there was the news the other day that Tucker Carlson was advising him on stuff. So – I mean, you had that type of stuff, too. And I think that divide comes down to a divide over what is the end game here with Iran. Do you want regime change? There are certainly people who want regime change uh, in the Republican Party, you know, in this own administration. Uh, Do you just want a more reasonable regime? Uh, Is this an attempt to get Iran to come back to the table? And a lot of the president's allies were spinning this today as this sort of saber rattling, this sort of fire and fury language that got Kim Jong-un to Mm. come to the negotiating table. And that this is an attempt to show Iran that we are very serious. We could have done this, but we didn't at the last minute. But Iran has not shown any signs yet that this sort of gun-to-the-head negotiating strategy is going to work with them. And there's reason that might not, because there are people who argue that um, the Iranian people will move closer to the regime the bigger an enemy the United States appears to be. You know, I was with uh, Tom Keene last night at the St. Regis. We were, you know, just talking. So I'm going to take a, a page out of Tom Keene's book. By the way, go on Bloomberg Television. Watch his exclusive interview with Richard Clarida. Did, just, did you catch that? I did, Just yeah. absolutely fascinating to see... The master, the maestro, right. Tom Keene at work. But I'll, I'll stay on topic here, as Tom tells me I have to do. And I'm going to say my, my, my Friday must-read, not my morning must-read, must read, Tom, my Friday must-read by James Stavridis. He is a Bloomberg opinion columnist, retired U.S. Navy admiral, and former Supreme Allied commander of NATO. Shannon, he's hitting your point here in this column. He says that the Iranians, quote, are taking a page out of the playbook of North Korean leader Kim Jong-un, who, among other affronts, launched missiles in the direction of Japan, seeking to demonstrate to the U.S. and the global community that he can be a great deal of trouble. Both everyone virtually here is, is, is trying to sort through where the U.S. fits on this, but let's not lose the big picture. No one in the United States government, in Democratic leadership or Republican leadership or at the White House, wants Tehran to have a nuclear weapon. I'll play for you now what Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi had to say. Here she is. 
Let me be very clear. The Democrats in the meeting, House and Senate Democrats, were very clear uh, that Congress must act, uh, must have the authority of Congress uh, before we initiate a military hostilities in, into Iran. She's speaking there about the debate that has percolated in the halls of Congress, as Al, as Jack both know, about precisely in this modern era that we live in, post 9-11, how, how does a commander-in-chief go about a military attack? Much more on politics and policy, all-star panel, Shannon Pettypiece stays, Jack Fitzpatrick, Al Weaver. You can download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and the Bloomberg Terminal. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Sound On with Kevin Cirilli. On Bloomberg 99.1 and 101 FM HD2 Baltimore. Happy Friday and a very, very happy birthday to my oldest sister, Mara Cirilli Giamatti, back in Delco. She is an all-star and the best. So happy birthday, Mara, my biggest sister and my first friend. We're talking all things politics and policy today. With an all-star panel, Shannon Pettypiece, another one of my friends, Bloomberg News White House reporter, Jack Fitzpatrick, Bloomberg government congressional reporter, and Al Weaver, national political reporter at The Hill. Earlier, we were talking about policy implications of the U.S. and Iran policy and how that's going to be impacting the congressional front, but also the president's decision to not use a retaliatory strike against the Iranians. Shannon, you've been today on the impact that this could have on the 2020 presidential. So one of Trump's key campaign promises was about getting U.S. troops out of the Middle East, ending what he calls these senseless, endless wars in the Middle East. Uh, He has struggled to find a way to get us out of Afghanistan. Uh, He has drawn us back a bit in Syria, but not, uh, you know, not completely out, as he said he was going to do. Uh, And now we've sent a thousand more troops to the Middle East to deal with this crisis, this standoff with Iran. Uh, if this escalates and the president finds himself in some sort of military conflict before 2020, uh, that's going to be reneging on one of his key campaign promises. And there's not a great track record uh, necessarily for presidents who start wars uh, right before an election, particularly wars that aren't um, seen as necessary, where the national security is directly impacted. And I got to say this, and I know Shannon agrees with me here. I know Alan Jack agree with me here. It's it's just so awkward to talk about the political implications of war. Yeah. Especially yes. when, when so, I mean, and I know we've, we've had right. so many conversations. No, we've had so many. No, we've, no, it's not where out. your brain lives because that's why we're friends because we've had so many conversations about this. But I, but I want to, you said about how the president has sent a thousand troops, a thousand troops to, mm-hmm. to Iran. He moved those troops, correct? Right. It wasn't in uh, a. It was maybe a week or so yeah. ago or earlier. And it was in this a month. movement. Yes. It right. was a movement. It wasn't. Like an additional deployment. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, but I mean, these are just this, I think this escalation is still kind of just beginning. We still haven't really determined how we're going to respond to this drone strike. So there's going to be more to come from this. Uh, Al, what are you hearing from the 2020 presidential crop of presidential characters who are running for president? What are they saying about the Iran situation? Well, I think it's a lot of the same. It's a lot of kind of what we expect. You know, they don't they they don't they don't trust the president in any way, shape, or form on this whole thing. Uh, they all say that you know he's 
you know, he's impulsive. They say all this other stuff about him, you know, that he doesn't have a team, that he doesn't have, uh, you know, the right sensibilities when it comes to dealing with Middle East, that he doesn't, that he hasn't thought out plans in advance and stuff like this. They all say that, oh, you know, I'm the person and that he's not a true, he's not the, the commander in chief that, you know, he should be. Um, you know, but I think, but it's, but you look at some of these issues, you're talking about Syria, we talked about that, that happened last year, obviously, or at the end of last year into this year. Um, you know, a lot of Democrats, they kind of agree with him on that. They may not agree with the way he went about it by going out and saying on Twitter and going against Mattis and whatnot. But overall, they kind of agree with the plan. So they're kind of in a tough spot here. In a, in a, in a, are they even talking about this or are they talking about Biden? Because I mean, everything I hear on the 2020 well, front is Biden. Way, put it this way. The oxygen right now with 2020 is with Biden and it's with Booker and it's with segregation. I can't even. OK, so catch us up to speed. What, what Where are we at with former Vice President Joe Biden and the segregationist issue? If, if you're just tuning in yeah. on your way home from work, what's going on in Biden world? Well, Biden's still under attack from the likes of Cory Booker and, and Bernie Sanders. That he has been for the last couple of days. And Kamala Harris. And Kamala Harris. You're right about that. I forgot about Kamala Harris. Um, <laughs> and... <laughs> And it just isn't stopping. I mean, and you have a debate next week. But what? But for people just tuning in, what happened? Well, the vice president was at a couple of uh, fundraisers this week, and he started talking about multiple segregationist uh, Democratic senators, Dixiecrats, that he dealt with back in the late 70s in his early time in the Senate and how they used to deal with each other. And it was an era of civility in the the, uh, Senate at the time and how they were able to get things done. And since then, Biden has come at our attack from from the three senators we just talked about, and it's really created a problem for him. He's it's something he's uh, he's got to focus on. It's it's take up all the oxygen. He can't talk about anything else at this point. You mentioned Cory Booker. You mentioned Senator Cory Booker, Democratic presidential candidate Cory Booker, Democrat from New Jersey, about what he had to say about former Vice President Joe Biden. Take a listen to Cory Booker and what he told reporters earlier about all this. Here he is. Vice President Biden shouldn't need this lesson. And at a time when we have from the highest offices in the land divisiveness, uh, racial hatred, and bigotry. He should have the sensitivity to know that this is a time I need to be an ally, I need to be a healer, I need to not engage in usage of words that will harm folks. That's Senator Cory Booker. All right, Jack Fitzpatrick, and and Shannon, listen to this. Uh, I want to play for you guys with civil rights icon. Civil rights icon. John Lewis, Congressman John Lewis, a House Democrat from Georgia, had to say about the Biden conversations, controversy that we're having. Here's civil rights icon John Lewis. I don't think the remarks are offensive. Uh, During the height of the civil rights movement, we worked with people um, and got to know people. There was members of the Klan, people who opposed us, even people who beat us arrested us and jail us we never gave up on our fellow human beings jack that's that's john lewis uh what do you what do you make about this and, and what are you hearing from from folks as as they're talking about this story well that's a very john lewis response i mean he was close with martin luther king during the civil rights movement he's always taken a very inclusive tone and if you've been in politics for decades the way he has and Biden have has, uh, you know that there are going to be some people who uh, are, are not very wise with their words. You know, when Biden said, James Eastland always called me son, he didn't 
call me boy. Some people took offense to that, uh, probably rightfully so, because Biden is white, and uh, that's that's not who uh, racists in the past have called boy. Uh, but there's a certain level of forgiveness for people who had to go through the civil rights movement and had to go through politics and, and deal with the Senate in the 60s, 70s, 80s. Uh, but then, you, obviously, you heard from Cory Booker and people who are pushing not only for uh, inclusion of more political allies, but uh, I think a kind of language that is uh, is more respectful to minorities, and uh, they, there's a, a real focus on the exact words that you use that maybe John Lewis wasn't quite as picky about uh, for his whole career leading to now. Yeah, it shows this, diff- this uh, different in generations of politicians, and also the fact that people pointed this out before Biden even ran. Historically, he has not been a great presidential candidate. He's not been a super sad savvy politician. And it's kind of showing him out of touch with the moment to some extent. I mean, yep. not just this, but we remember the the Me Too issues with the, the handsiness, and he struggled to let that go, or no, it was a little tone deaf on that issue when he was trying to address it. Uh, so I think, yes, not only does he have vulnerabilities in his record, but we're also seeing some vulnerabilities in his in his role as a candidate. Now, Donald Trump wasn't a great candidate or an orthodox candidate um, and did not always say the right things most of the time, didn't say the right things. He was elected president. So it doesn't mean that someone who's not politically correct and out of step with the moment can't get elected president. But in the Democratic Party, I think it's going to make him it's going to be more of a struggle for him. And he's going to have to have other things to overcome that. He was never going to win those votes anyway, Al. No, you're right about that. But I will say the one thing that's really striking is this divide in the party right now. You have a yeah. lot of the you have a lot of the, the CBC, a lot of the old establishment folks. You have Dianne Feinstein, uh, Clyburn, a bunch of them. They've come to Biden's defense in the last couple of days over this. And then you have this new school. You have the Cory Booker's, the Kamala Harris, and they're the ones really making him, making him pay for this. Uh, it's a real divide in the party, and it's something Biden's having to deal with. He's it's something he's going to have to answer for the next week as far as with the debates coming up. All right, if all if all of that wasn't enough, I got to. I got it. Roy Moore's running again. Roy Moore's, I mean, how's that for a pivot, Christine? Roy Moore's running again down in Alabama, and I want to play for you what uh, Roy Moore said in Montgomery, Alabama, about uh, whether or not he can win. Roy Moore, the guy who ran again uh, for Jeff Seaton, lost to Doug Jones, but remember the whole yearbook and the, we all remember the sexual controversy of, like, yeah. We might like to forget, yeah. Yeah, but here's Roy Moore. Here's Roy Moore. Can I win? Yes, I can win. Not only can I, they know I can. That's why there's such opposition. I'm just going to leave it there. I don't really want to spend much more time on that for now. It's Friday. It's Friday. Shannon, you're taking Graham horseback riding. Uh, we have horseback riding lessons on uh, Saturday and probably on Sunday. Graham's an too. all-star nine-year-old. He's year old. five and a half. Five yeah. and a half. And um, I, I feel like I'm six months away from buying a truck and a horse trailer. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Well, have fun with that, Shannon. Thanks for hanging out with us on this Friday. Al and Jack are going to stick around. Download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Budget caps. We're talking Budget caps coming up next. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. 
The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business demands. At the Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how the Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. You're listening to Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent to Bloomberg Television and to Bloomberg Radio. My guests with me for the hour are Jack Fitzpatrick, Bloomberg Government Congressional Reporter, and Al Weaver, National Political Reporter, Philadelphia sports fan, for The Hill newspaper. You can find his reporting on thehill.com, right? Yes. And, if, and you write a newsletter. I do. The Morning Report. Every morning to your inbox at 630. That's one of my, my – if you want to subscribe to that, what do you do? Uh, just go to my Twitter feed. I have a link there. You can uh, okay, subscribe well, there, to that and any other go. newsletter you want for the help. Al Weaver. Easy to find. Easy to subscribe <laughs> to. Uh, Jack, you're covering this, this story that's really about to bubble over next week, which is the Trump administration – reading from your reporting on the Bloomberg Terminal. The Trump administration would be forced to send aid – to Central American countries, and the military would miss out on $145 million in a $4.5 billion House supplemental spending measure for humanitarian needs at the southern border, according to uh, released on Friday. Uh, so what's going on with this? Yeah, so since the beginning of May, the Trump administration has been saying we've had such an influx of people coming across the southern border. We need four and a half to five billion dollars more, not for a border wall, just to take care of processing people, keeping people in a safe place. Uh, uh, I think we're going to jump later to AOC's concentration yeah, camp comments, but essentially we'll avoiding avoiding actual concentration camps and uh, and processing people. The Democrats uh, in the House in particularly are saying, okay, we're going to put restrictions on that. We will fund uh, what you need to process people and take care of people at the border. But for one, when Trump said on Monday he's going to cut aid to Central American countries, including uh, Guatemala and Honduras, uh, until they help take care of all this, the Democrats say, no, you're not going to cut aid to Central America. That's going to be a a real sticking point before there's any kind of deal. Uh, They also don't want to give any money to the military that has played some role in this, uh, and they are not going to fund any ICE detention increase, no detention capacity. Uh, they will continue fighting for even a limit. So, what, so like top line view, if you're if you're heading into the weekend and you're, and you're trying to follow Iran, you're trying to follow the debate next week, and then you've got this budget battle. If they don't pass legislation or they don't get a deal by the week long July Fourth recess, what happens? Uh, they are going to try hard to do it, but uh, and you think on, they will? On, uh, I don't know. Uh-huh. Uh, for this portion portion of the budget battle that's going on, uh, this is really about a humanitarian crisis that they need to act on now. Both sides say they need to act on that on this now. This has nothing even to do with you know, there's an October deadline to mm-hmm. fund the government. This is something they need to do as soon as possible because the gut the they're going to run out of money for unaccompanied children and those people uh, probably in July if they don't get billions of more dollars. And the conditions there are getting very 
very bad. Uh, so now, after months of delay, you have both parties saying, we absolutely need to do something to take care of these people. Uh, but they are still <sighs> fighting over foreign aid, money to the military, ICE detention, that kind of thing. Do you think they're going to get a deal? Uh, I think 50-50 by next week. At some point, something will happen. Uh, I think it's it's 50-50 that they'll do this before they leave town. But if they go out for a week-long recess for, over July 4th, uh, a lot of these people are going to really hear it from the Just the imagery of going on a July 4th yeah. recess while this is just... I, it's hard to even articulate. Well, there's two things I'd make a point about. One thing is that, I mean, obviously the July 4th, you talk about they go home, they're probably going to hear a lot from their constituents. And overall, before the August, re- August recess, when they're away for a month, Six th- weeks there time. is, there is month yeah, a month and a half. You're right, because uh, be they, nice. they, they leave around the 25th, I think. Must be nice. They're only here for another, I believe it's 16 legislative days. Yeah, That's not much time to get a deal like this. And number two, I think there was a good story by one of my colleagues, Alex Bolton, he had a story the other oh, day. Bol- I read this, Bolton. Bolton he did reporter. a story about how Democrats have done a U-turn on on this humanitarian aid. I remember a couple months ago, even when you know, especially when they were talking about the disaster aid, even and they were up to that, how they didn't want any humanitarian aid into that. They obviously didn't make it into the disaster aid package, and uh, but but I think that all kind of changed when Jay Johnson came out and said, "Yes, there's a real kind of crisis on, on the southern border," and it kind of took uh, took that talking away point from Democrats. And you're seeing that right now. I mean, the, with Leahy and Shelby, they came, they struck a deal, a tentative deal on the four point. Six, uh, you know that wasn't going to happen a few months ago. So. What would Arnie Vinick say? Coming up, we dive into that. Plus, AOC, the controversy, the fallout, more fallout for Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. Panel stays. Jack Fitzpatrick, BGov All Star, and Al Weaver, national political reporter at the Hill. You can download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Go listen on Bloomberg Television to Tom Keen's interview with Richard Clarida. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 991. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Friday, folks, to quote Jonathan Farrow. Friday, it's Friday. Welcome to the weekend. James Comey, I'm reading from the Bloomberg Terminal. James Comey says that the threat from Huawei is something he and Trump agree on, according to my colleague Billy House. Reporting on the Bloomberg Terminal, former FBI Director James Comey said the Trump administration's actions against Huawei Technologies Company stem from a, quote, fact-based intelligence concern, end quote, and aren't just part of a trade war with China. Who would have thought, guys? James Comey. James Comey agreeing. On one thing. Agreeing with President Trump. Al Weavers here, national political reporter for The Hill, Jack Fitzpatrick. Bloomberg government congressional reporter. I was watching, rewatching, because I have no life. Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's interview with Jonathan Carl last week from uh, the Sunday shows. And she says she's working with, speaking of strange political bedfellows, <laughs> working with Senator Ted Cruz on something. So I guess it's on like, and, and Ben Carson on, on some issues that they're trying to work together uh, on. birth control, that type of thing. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting to see where all of that goes. So James Comey and President Trump on Huawei, AOC and Ted Cruz. Speaking of AOC, that's where I want to take this. Uh, This concentration camp, earlier we were talking about 
concentration or the the situation at the border and how the budget is money is running out for the detention centers for children who are here while their parents are being deported and whatnot. And the money's going to run out. Democrats, Republicans agree there has to be some type of fix before the July 4th recess. Mm-hmm. And AOC has been referring to them as concentration camps. And that has a lot of folks speaking out against it. Uh, because of the uh, of what it does uh, i want to play for you what aoc said earlier this week jack and i want to gather what both of you were hearing from uh from lawmakers on capitol here here is aoc saying why she is referring to them as concentration camps there is a very clear academic consensus on what constitutes a concentration camp and that is the mass detention of a community of people without a trial or due process I think it's pretty universally uh, and non-controversial to say that the administration is doing exactly that and meets the academic requirement for what a concentration camp is. It is controversial. Um, a lot of folks are taking offense to this. What are you hearing, Jack Fitzpatrick, about her usage of the of saying what's going on at the border is saying that's a concentration camp? Well, it I it doesn't appear to help as you have both parties trying to come together on an actual deal to alleviate some of the problems there. Uh, a lot of the lawmakers uh, have have not wanted to touch on those comments specifically and instead just try to get something through. I, I should probably point out, one, she was not right to say it's uncontroversial. It's clearly controversial. Two, the <laughs> other uh, kind of pushback here uh, is the, the mention of due process. There are some very complicated issues with how you provide due process to the people who are being kept here because in some t- cases they're trying to figure out who their family is. In some cases they're limited as far as how long they can keep them in a detention center before they put their, them somewhere else. The fact is they're going through the, the court system, the immigration court system, and that is meant to be due process. Because That's we're a democracy, it, right. and so we have judicial We process. did not, for example, during World War II with Japanese internment camps, but that is the, I think, probably key legal difference if you were to make that, com- uh, that uh, comparison is these people are getting court hearings. At least I don't know how we got. I, it's, it's it's. I don't know how we got here. Speaker Pelosi, Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who everyone, you all know this. We talked to the same people. Cannot fathom why AOC is talking like this. Here's Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi responding to questions earlier this week about uh, AOC invoking concentration camps into the rhetoric. Here she is. I do have some uh, comments to make to my caucus writ large about the political nature of uh, how politically charged the atmosphere is. So understand uh, that the Republicans have no interest in holding the president accountable for his words. They will misrepresent anything that you say just if you have one word in the sense that they can exploit. Al Weaver, does Speaker Pelosi have any intention to hold members of her caucus accountable for their words? Oh, that's a good question. I, I would say two things here. Number one, Pelosi's number one goal, obviously, with everything, she obviously wants to get legislation done, but politically speaking, she wants to keep the House. And AOC is not a, is not a factor in that at this point. It's all about protecting the folks that brought the, the, that brought the majority home for the Democrats. It's, it's protecting people in, the, in Philadelphia suburbs. It's protecting folks in the Midwest. It's protecting folks in suburban county, districts throughout the country. And comments like this, I don't think, matter too much at this point. And the other thing, just generally speaking, it's I, not usually a good idea to invoke the Holocaust. It just isn't. And I think the better, and, and I think you're looking, look, look ahead to next week, we have debates coming up. Ooh. I would not be shocked if this is asked on the debate stage. 
Uh, oh. if this is invoked on the debate stage by, you know, moderator mentions, oh, hey, uh, you know, ex-candidate, what do you, uh, AOC said this. What do you say? What do you have to say? That's going to be very interesting to, uh, you know, to hear what, how, Demo- how Democratic candidates attack that question, whether they side with AOC, whether they yes. go against that. Great. I think that's going to be fascinating next week. We got and, the two-minute and, and, warning. And, and what they say is going to be absolutely – I'm looking forward two to Two-minute warning, so keep it tight, gentlemen. Go for it. What are you watching for on that debate stage this weekend? 60-second warning now. Go ahead. Quick. Who's going to have the breakout debate, Jack Fitzpatrick? Uh, I think the big question is, does Joe Biden strike back at anyone else, or does he just yeah. entirely focus on I think Trump? he does. I think he comes out swinging. I think it's let Biden be Biden. Ready? Arnie Vinnick, West Wing reference. God, I'm going to watch that this, sh- this weekend. I'm um, getting off topic, and we got just a little bit. Who's going to have a big debate next week, Al? I say Elizabeth Warren. She's got a lot of of oxygen. She's the main person on that stage, the one she's on. The other ones, obviously Biden, Bernie, Buttigieg, and Kamala Harris are all on the same debate stage. Warren has the show to herself. I think Klobuchar. I think Klobuchar is going to shock people. I want to thank Jack Fitzpatrick, my BGov all-star pal, as well as Al Weaver, a political reporter, national political reporter at the Hill. Have a great weekend, everybody. Happy birthday to my oldest sister, Mara. And thanks for listening. Take care. I'm packing for Miami. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.